okay video coming to you from Calgary, Alberta. Sodium update. I have made the switch to the weird peanut butter that is all oily and you have to mix it when you use it. One jar said to put it upside down in the fridge. Pro tip when flipping it right side up to use, give it a few seconds. Drip back down off the lid into the jar so it doesn't just splatch all over the counter when you open it. I'm Nathan Rohr, and I still have an old peanut butter jar shaped like a squirrel with hundreds of now useless pennies in it. I'm joined, as always, by Ryan McCullough. Uh, hey there, Ryan here. Um, so before you went to, uh, like, natural, like, basically it's just natural peanut butter. Sure, this is to. what it does without the power of salt, I guess. <laughs> to I think keep it's other it things, but yeah, together. there's definitely, definitely a lot of salt in mine. What yeah. were you? Were you a, a craft or Jif person? I was a craft person. Okay. Um, what what type not of... chunky? I would just get the smooth green yeah. jar. Smooth uh, green jar. That's like that one. Exactly okay, what I, I am. Craft, craft. Smooth. I don't mind a chunky, but it's just kind of weird. Like it doesn't spread. You know, it's it like a different thing. It's like if you want to eat nut a nut sandwich or something, which I for, you know, I doesn't was sound I don't great. Often, but... Yeah. I have a peanut butter and honey sandwich, and I just want both of my things to be smooth. Sure. But, like, for people that have jam sandwiches, which can have, like, fruit pieces in it, I can get that. Why, like, they were like, oh, I want some nut pieces, too. Sure. But I'm not yeah. a jelly or jam person, so. Oh, I kind of like jellies. Uh, I did have honey with it today, though. Um, Definitely, you notice the taste is not as sweet uh, with this <laughs> sure. weird natural one. Yeah. Because there's also um, a lot less sugar in it too. There is, yeah, there really is. Uh, and I, I like the kind of like I like just eating peanuts, like shelling and eating peanuts, and they have yep. a very mild pleasure. I think it's the meditative cracking of the shells and the whole thing yeah, yeah. that's it's really like the thing. I, I like eating sunflower sunflower seeds for the same purpose of like exactly, yeah. It's that it's, rep- it's the activity process. makes it a better snack than its actual flavor. Oh, uh, so. I think it's equal. I, I feel like nuts is not that way for me. That's that's what sunflower seeds are for me. I like the taste of sunflower seeds. I'm like okay with like a peanut. Oh, okay. I mean, it's like you're talking about like uh, the salted shells and everything, right? Yeah. So like I have those, but I really shouldn't be eating those no, you either. Shouldn't be eating those, Nathan. It's the same ones we got at the baseball game. I just yeah, don't you, have them. You should not be eating those. I know. Yeah. What do I do? Just compost them? Yes. Or put so. them in like just you can actually just I don't know they they are soak good, them good for the con like just even putting into like a field or something like that animals will eat it sure um, leave them out for the critters okay question for you because I've never asked somebody who who ate this type of peanut butter why do you need all that excess oil why can't you just dump it out and just have what the brown stuff is. I don't know. It, the jar advises to stir it in, so I'm assuming it wouldn't be smooth if you didn't. You oh, know? No, I know. I guess I, I should spend my own money and, and experiment because I feel like. And I wasn't sure if it's like, is it always going to do that? Like, if I leave it for a while, will there just be a thick layer again? Because I yes. I used it like two days ago or whatever. Before. Yeah, I think so it, it wasn't I think it, that different today. It constantly separates, though. It does. Yeah. But that's what I'm wondering. I'm like, well, why can't I just dump out that extra oil and just have like the peanut? It's like there. Now I got rid of some of that fat too. How about that? Yeah. And then you just have, I don't know. You're right. Like I just abate it because it, it knows what it's doing. But No, I know. I, I just, I'm just wondering about the process of like, is this actually necessary or are they just telling you to do something and then you're just doing it because the instructions say so? 
sure. It's like, hey, there's quality oil right there. I mean, that's what I mean. And that's for me, it's the it's the fat content, not the salt content. That's my concern. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's all salt over here. But anyway. Anyways, I'm Ryan. This is Nathan. We talk movies. Uh, This week, we are continuing our look at lady centric films with Ryan's wife, Ashley's favorite war movie. I'm I'm assuming Uh, we were soldiers written and directed by Randall Wallace. Uh, It was released March 1st, 2002. And cost seventy five million U.S., uh, seventy eight domestic, thirty seven international for one fifteen total. So I don't know how marketing heavy do you think this was? Do you remember posters? And- I remember posters and stuff, but those are back in the days where marketing, like home, home video, like Times Square, been a- just a giant Mel Gibson face. Well, home video would have been a big market too. Like it would have been a big like revenue stream. So like rental and home and home video market. Yeah, so I'd assume it, you know, no one's losing their shirt. It's not a smash hit or anything. Not but... a smash hit, but definitely not like didn't didn't they didn't lose tons of money either. I just kind of noticed Randall didn't have another directed thing for like 8 years. So I kind of wondered if he got in some sticky situation after this, but Yeah, I don't pot- know. I, yeah. No. Did he have another? I didn't even know he had another one. Uh Secretariat, which I uh, until like ten minutes ago, I was like, "Oh yeah, I saw that." And then it's like, "No, Nathan, you saw Sea Biscuit, the other horse movie." It's like, "Oh yeah, right." I have no idea. How In my brain, I was is. thinking Sea Biscuit this whole time, but yeah, exactly, Secretary right? is a different movie, I guess. Yeah, totally different horse, totally different story. So how okay. about that? Good. Anyway, good uh, this one stars the now controversial Mel Gibson. Some years before he made that movie about Jesus and expressed all sorts of hateful things in a fateful traffic stop. Uh, kind of the first major star to be canceled in the modern sense of the word. Yeah, I never, never really found his way back to, like, he had like that blip with the, hacksaw. No, that um, that was like a, a later blip, but like that early Edge of Darkness in like 2010 oh, yeah. when he tried to do like a solo movie and it did okay. Get the Gringo or whatever. Nobody's rushing back to the theater from type of thing. Yeah, so. but just it's hard to convey like how big of a deal he was for a good chunk of time. Well, and even he this, was... even th- like at this point, none of us had known how terrible a person he was yet. No, there was no inkling of that really. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, enough of that unpleasantness. What is this movie about? Uh, this movie is about the Battle of Yijang Valley. The first major conflict between the U.S. and the People's Army of Vietnam. Uh, it focuses on Colonel Howe Moore, a Catholic with a big family, by my standards, uh, maybe not by Catholic standards, who promises that he will bring every man under his command home, dead or alive. He also makes the declaration that he will be the first man on the battlefield and the last man off it. Between those two footsteps are many explosions, gunshots, and bayonet stabbings. Who won this battle? Both sides claim victory, but really, no one wins the game of war. Except maybe arms manufacturers, but this movie is not about that. (laughs) This movie Uh, is not about arms manufacturing? They also probably sold guns for this movie. There was a talk of M16s selling out for a while. (laughs) After (laughs) this movie? For this movie. Like the armorers had to buy up real props and stuff. Fascinating. Yeah. Um... Just, just to clarify, this is one of Ashley's top war movies. She had it down between this and Saving Private Ryan. 
Oh, and okay. we leaned more this because Saving it's Private. Like, well, we already got th- like then we'd have three Spielbergs on our list. Well, and it doesn't need too much more of a spotlight put on it. And like I like this movie, so I'm okay and happy to talk about it. I don't think it's as good as Saving Private. Neither does she, but she really likes this movie much more than I do. I mean, so. it's a different war. Uh, is the main thing I'll say. So it's <laughs> yeah. it's tones kind of have to be different. Uh, well, okay, for, right off the bat, there's just for your sake, Nathan, because I know this is a a stick in your paw. Oh yeah. Uh, for other movies that have this war, no CCR. Oh, wait. oh yeah, no. I I there was a moment over the the you know you get the helicopter sounds, whatever you get the ambient, and it's like yeah, there better not be any CCR in this intro or, ooh, and then there wasn't. So great, yeah, and there wasn't. Because it would have been anachronistic. Right? It was 1965. <laughs> I don't know if we talked about the We probably did talk about this on the podcast, but you and I saw the post. We saw the post. To be fair to Steven Spielberg and the post, I was coming off a pretty bad shift and went right into watching this movie, and I was had no quarter for it. I was really not into it at all. I haven't seen it since, because why would I do that to myself? But... Sure. Maybe I, it's I, secretly okay. I have seen it since, and I like it far more with a more receptive audience. Oh, um, weird! Without a crabby troll there <laughs> being so mad at Tom I mean, Hanks I was, eating his spaghetti. I think also when I saw it for the first time, the trailers made it seem like it was going to be more about journalism and less about like the choices journalists and newspaper owners have to make. Um, I'm going to say more so newspaper owners, which also didn't sit with me. But yeah. yeah. But um. Oh no! Will the rich lady get to go to the barbecue? Stay tuned. It's like I I don't I can't handle this. I can't deal with this right now. Yeah. So. Uh. Yeah. But it definitely I definitely like I like it a lot more nowadays. Uh. Mainly because yeah, like she's rich, but she's also like a woman in very much a man's world. So. But anyways, yeah. there's a scene. It movie opens up in a, in Vietnam. And there, and Steven Spielberg made the choice to put a CCR song in there, kind of like to equate in your brain. Like, Vietnam. So like for a hundred percent, it is a cultural shorthand for like ah Vietnam, but like it's too easy or something. It's low hanging fruit. <laughs> like that fruit's fruit. on the ground already. It's like oh, I found this moldy peach here. Should I eat it? It's like well, no. Especially especially after Kong Skull Island, I feel like where Kong it's just Skull like... Island gets every right to do that because it's like cheese ball cheeseburger vietnam war oh yeah situation and it's 1974 or whatever it's like the final day of the war no no, no. I, so I know anachronistically or whatever it is it, it anachron oh my goodness the anachronisms the anachronism of kong works but he just leans into it so much in that bombing sequence where kong like they then- could have started playing some acdc songs and be like whatever who cares <laughs> like it's a giant monkey face with fire all around it this is great yeah. Uh, the, the, like this movie apparently does have some subtle like uh, anachronisms. Like the uh, that specific clip type wasn't used with that model until 1968. It's like okay, thanks, gun nut, whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, Un- you know. Unimportant uh, ones for sure. Uh, I so something I've always appreciated about this movie um, because the movie Randall Paulus is a pretty like like g shucks very pro-american like this guy wrote pearl harbor yeah <laughs> i i was i i saw that on his credits list and i was like 
oh, well, that thing's such a gong show. Surely he was one of 17 writers in a room throwing <laughs> crap at the wall. It's like, no, soul credit. Soul that is credit. his idea. It's like, this oh, is... man. All right. That's too yeah. bad, I guess. Um, yeah, so he he solely wrote that movie. It's very, I don't know how to put it. It's very pro-American. Like, it's very, like, it's Michael Bay's most Michael Bay movie. But, like, yeah. Anyways, so going into this movie, I'm, like, super nervous because I'm, like, first time watching it because I was, like, man, this is going to be, is this going to be the Vietnam War movie where we where America is, like, the hero? Like, you know what I mean? Right, because, like, this is kind of the war they did not win. Uh, this is the war they did not win, but I thought they were going to be, yeah. I thought they were going to be tricky because they, they're, they're playing it in the, uh, like early days of the war. So I was like, oh yeah. So Americans were still very like righteous about going to war. In yeah. It's, it's playing an interesting game where I, I guess I was okay. Before we delve into that a little bit, I was going to say the thing I thought you were going to say was like a sticking point for me is like extremely religious, giant Catholic families or whatever. <laughs> like oh. uh, the, the early beats of this have a lot of just like, Oh, I'll pray for you, and I'm gonna sit with you here at this altar and everything. And it's just like I don't love. I I get that this is motivators for these people, so I'm okay, I guess. But sure. I wasn't. I was like, how much of this is there gonna be as we go on? Is this uh, your first was time my seeing this concern. movie? No, I saw it like 20 years ago when I was okay. a Christian. So it would have been like, ah, this is great. Sure. Whereas now, it, I mean, it, I was a little like prickly at the outset. Yeah, um, I mean, I I don't love super Christian-y stuff, but a dude sitting in a chapel and his daughter just gets born and he's going off to war. It's a sure. pretty standard se- sequence. Yeah. So, that's all. Alright, I will say, for the first, like, 40 minutes of this movie, I thought I was seeing Jason Lee, and he was just looking real good. I was like, <laughs> I was like wow, what a Klein? sharp, young-looking Jason Lee we got here. He's like 30-something. He's looking good. And it's like, like my hey, name that is, is Chris Klein, a You're... decade younger. It's like, Isn't oh, it... okay. My name is Earl is fully on air right now? Like in this. I, I just had to look up my name is Earl to like confirm his name because I kept – it's like, no, his name is not Jason, right? That's Jason Muse, the other guy. And it's like, no, 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 no. There's two Jasons. No, yeah, that's, uh, that's Chris Chase Klein and from the American Pie movies. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he's or, not a good or actor. Uh, election is my favorite yeah, thing of his. Yeah, election. But, uh, yeah, he's not a great actor. He plays the character he plays in election is kind of perfectly within his wheelhouse, like a doofus. Yeah, there's like a dopey quality that works perfectly. Yes. It's like Mark Wahlberg in uh, Boogie Nights, where you're like, oh, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> so this is this is great, and it's like, yeah, yeah. Chris Klein can play dumb pretty well. He's unfortunately given a little bit more weight in this movie, and he can't. Quite <laughs> yeah, there it. there were some moments there. I was like, man, this is some odd things Jason Lee is up to here, <laughs> and then it's like, no, it's not him. Hence, why it's not amazing. Are you talking about whatever. when he's inspecting that man's foot, like two inches? No, from no, his face? that's like, oh, this guy's got some leadership qualities. Yes. It's like, I guess, sure, yeah, like he has no qualms about like, hey, put some power on that dude. You gotta watch out. You're gonna get like trench foot or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, sorry. Yeah, Chris Klein, Jason Lee, different people. Different uh, people. That, that that was giving me a bump. I will. 
I will also say there was like oh so I saw John Ham early like yes. he's in the boot camp right I was like oh wow John Ham's here yeah and then as it went on I kept like thinking I was seeing people it's like oh Bradley Cooper how about that oh Jeremy Renner's over there it's like no he's not neither of those people are in this it's like well they could have been they could have just been some but you're like, dude in the background. but it's weird is because the people that are are there that are at this boot camp are like people in my mind that are forever forty right because like Phil Coulson's there. <laughs> What's his face? Uh, the act. I mean, he, it's the actor who plays Phil Coulson in the early Avengers films. Oh yeah, Clark Gregg. Yeah, I Clark guess. Gregg is there, and yeah. he like. But it's like that's a dude. Like they're in boot camp, so I'm like, oh, is this like a new recruit? But like John Hamm wasn't ever twenty. He was like forever. He always looked even 40. in this. He's like thirty. Like this was a last chance thing for him apparently. Like a little ultimatum he gave himself was like, if I don't get in a movie or something before I'm thirty, I'm quitting acting. I'm just gonna become a person. Oh, so then uh, this was his chance. So this like gave him confidence, I guess. Okay. And then five years later, he's in Mad Men and yeah. Whatever. But I just you know what I mean. Like John Hamm perpetually looks like a forty year old man, and when he's young, he looks. Older. <laughs> I mean, it definitely looks like him. It's but that's like, what I mean. Like when he's young, he looks older. But now that he's older, he looks young because he just forever, like, looks well, 40. We, we were just joking around about Paul Rudd where, like, there's these people that kind of freeze for, like, three Yeah, they years. catch up to their face and then they just stop and then they move forward and it's like, oh, man, what happened to this guy? Like, yeah, he, yeah. Yeah. I guess I mean, he has that quality. The sure. John Hurt is the opposite side where it took him, like, 40 years of his career to catch up to his to face. actually age to the old face he had. <laughs> In his 30s or 20s or whatever, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's um, kind of so, incredible. But seeing, so yeah, seeing John Hamm and Clark Gregg in these boot camp scenes was weird because I was like, I was expecting to see like a Jake Gyllenhaal or Jeremy Renner or Bradley like, who Cooper. Who knows who was in this at this point? Like it would have been kind of not a huge get for them. It's like, oh, I'll be in the Mel Gibson War movie. Like I'll be a yeah. soldier number seven or whatever. That's fine. But here we got a bunch of 30-year-old men doing boot camp <laughs> training with receding yeah. hairlines. Like... I guess so, yeah. It just, hey, seemed, it just seemed weird. That's all. All right. So, sorry. Back to the tone thing, I guess. We're, we're talking about, like, different wars, different... This kind of did have some of the noble work of a soldier kind of attitude or whatever yep. that you see in, like, old World War II movies. Yes. And that could have been a put-off, I guess, but I sort of felt it worked because this was the earliest days but that's what of I mean. this like, conflict, the conflict movie, you know? The movie has this opportunity just to be like a John Wayne war movie where it's like, we are amazing, plant the flag in the, in the ground, we're the best. Yeah. But the movie starts kind of that way with this optimism about America and slowly moves through this by like when we get to the battlefield we start seeing the perspective of the uh the viet like the viet cong like the vietnamese people like the yeah and and then as the battle gets moving along like even mel gibson has to reflect upon like what are we doing here like what what is the point of all this and barry pepper does the same thing and it takes the movie the journey through the couple days that they're in this valley for them to realize and then therefore the movie to realize right off the bat like this is a stupid war. Like, we shouldn't be here. I, f I feel the movie's structured with some of that, like, foreknowledge or whatever. Like, it has that uh, kind of forecasting moment with the French army in 1954 or whatever, where they yep. show this, like, little skirmish or whatever with the yep. Vietnamese in the 50s. And it's just like, oh, like, that that's kind of, you know, foreshadowing what America's going to go through. It's like, it's going to be bad. 
Like it's not yes. it's not going to be an easy anything. Uh, but they have their confidence or whatever. Like you see those generals kind of Aaron Sorkining around, walk in towards the camera and be like, yep. French Army, what's that? It's like, oh, you guys are in for a horrible decade. It's well, going to be a real bad time. I think <laughs> yeah. there's another level to this movie that I also appreciate because Mel Gibson's character. Uh, so right off the bat, when we get introduced to him at boot camp, he's a new lieutenant colonel coming to live on the base. All the recruits are talking about him. And they're kind of hoping that he's going to be one of those like hard-ass generals who loves war, like a Patton type. And then they see him walking with a bunch of books. And they're like, oh, he's going to be like one of those brainy guys. Who oh, yeah. I think Clark Gregg specifically is like, what? Like Harvard graduate? Or yeah. whatever. It's like, okay. But, yeah, he's kind of studying the enemy, reading about the terrain and stuff, trying not to make the mistakes the French did. Like, he's taking well, it seriously. I think, he, yeah, he just takes all of his – I think he takes war – generally seriously right like he's a historian he understands the art of war but yeah he specifically is studying this other vietnamese general like because he knows that like this guy is doing something different that we're not used to sure Um, yeah yeah i mean you're trying to get it right for this but i i feel the movie kind of knows that vietnam has this giant burden with like the american psyche or something like it's like you've seen the platoon you've seen all these kind of war as hell terrible things at this point so the score and everything is just very like somber and like mm-hmm. melancholic it's just like yeah it's not it's you're not never bombastic. like yeah let's go to war it's like no yeah. this is the movie knows this is bad these dudes might not yet but well because we once they get on the battlefield everything kind of goes poorly for them like every it, it's interesting because yeah the, the initial moments on the battlefield i thought were kind of neat because he he gave this speech where it's like yeah we're going to be landing under fire like during the training exercises like you're dead you're dead it's all crazy yes and it gets there but the initial moments are like what are these guys shooting at like nothing's happening and it takes them a while to kind of like all right turn like stop hold on and then there's this eerie silence or whatever because like there isn't that happening yes and then it takes that like battalion or whatever that charges ahead and gets separated yeah to kind of kick off everything well, uh, and I was definitely judging those people in the moment. It's just like, don't chase the scout. You're going to get spiked or something. Haven't you seen Vietnam war movies? <laughs> but no, they, no haven't. they haven't. Well, cause so, that's the thing that's, I think this movie. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is this movie like afterwards. Um, cause Clint hasn't yet done his letters to Iwo Jima movie, right? Like yeah, he hasn't yeah, done right. where you're getting some of both sides. Is yeah. Thing, where you're right? getting a bit of respect from an American for his opponent, for his enemy, right? Yeah. So this movie is giving us a little piece of this because, yes, you're right, we get a lot of American Americana around Vietnam War being restless and things like that. But even when you watch, like, Apocalypse Now or Platoon or any of these things, they're still super derogatory towards the Vietnamese people. Like, they're dropping uh, all yeah. of the derogatory language. They're treating them like <laughs> animals. It took, like, like, 75 minutes or something before it was like, wow, this movie... Like, I think it, it, no, it was the scene where, like, some napalm went off and a man's cheeks on fire and everything. It's really gnarly and violent. Yeah. And I was just like, man, that man didn't, like, drop any F-bombs or anything when that happened to him. Like, there's been so little cursing. Yeah, there's so little cursing. In this movie. But, <laughs> you know? um, yeah, you're right. There's so little, so little cursing. I, I know there's not, they're not throwing around racial epithets either, but that's sort of two twofold it's like it's sort of a cleaner movie but it also it's i get the early days these prejudices haven't happened yet 
for these people. You well, know? I don't think so. I think it's what the message they're trying to send the audience that like the message of the movie was like they're also respectable, like that there was a bit of like mutuality to this battle. Like America sure. lost this war essentially. Like they lost because not because of all the things that you want to say, they threw everything they could at it. And Vietnam, with their excellent war strategies, with their, like, tactics, won. Like, flat-out beat America because they America couldn't compete with what Vietnam Vietnam was doing. Sure. I and, mean, the numbers battle goes the other way, but it doesn't matter. Like, it, they were willing to dig in and, and do everything to, like, protect their country. Oh, and, their, and their, view, right? their tactics were so much smarter. Like, who says we all have to stand in a line and shoot at each other? Like, right? Like, that's what uh, the big thing there's was. There's some wonky tactics in this movie, but I don't know. Like, just charging at people across a field kind of happens a bunch of times. Yes. In ways I found, like, well, this is chaotic and crazy. I don't know if this would happen quite this way or why you'd do that. So this movie is sure. based This movie's based upon the book written by Mel Gibson's character and Barry Pepper's character. Yeah. And so, from everything I've read, it's a pretty accurate account of this. How it was going. Because the whole point is that Mel Gibson was able to anticipate some of these sneak attack moves. And then, therefore, people were put into a no man's land where they have to charge. Or else they die. They can't retreat and have guns Or just nothing happens? Or what do you mean? So, like, they were cut off and, like, just surrounded, essentially. So, you might as well go for it. No, it's more like once they get found out, because there's a couple scenes, there's a scene where he's like, everyone stop and shoot at anything that looks weird. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, what he is essentially starting is, they then think that the the gig is up and they have to get up and run, but if they run backwards, they're going to get shot at no matter what they want, so they might as well move forward and shoot the enemy as much as they can. Yeah, I was, I was a bit confused by that scene because I didn't see anything, right? And it's like, why did they jump up? Like, I guess they got psyched out or something I yeah guess, like they they because their whole thing is sneaking right like the Viet Cong went underground they lived in like they had tunnels they dressed like locals and they also like did a lot of sneaking so they wouldn't fight the war the way that wars were fought in the west like they wouldn't be like here's the line in the sand we're gonna stay on our side you stay on your side and we're gonna push you back a bit or we're gonna they're gonna push us back a bit they mm-hmm. were like no, we're just going to kill your soldiers because you're here and we'll use whatever tactics we want. So they use and a yeah, lot this, of this stealth. didn't really get into like booby traps or any of that stuff. That no, they just happen. use stealth. Like stealth is a yeah. big piece of that, right? They attack at night when typically you don't attack at night. You attack during the day. They're attacking at night. Like they're, there's that scene where the, that battalion is cut off and it's in the middle of the night and they're just like, I smell they're something They're feeling weird. antsy. So they, they call a flare and then yes. there's just people everywhere. There's just people like everywhere because surrounding. they attack at night like they use all the strategies they can because there's less of them to fight a war and and they don't have the big hardware either like you don't get the the planes with the airstrikes or the artillery cannons they just have ak-47s um but yet they were able to beat the biggest military in the world using these very like tactics type of yeah yeah um so i i I don't know I, i appreciated this movie giving like some rope and some genius to like the Viet Cong and like how well how good they're doing because I feel like other Vietnam's movie like even when it's like oh look at how terrible the Americans have been turned into they kind of blame it upon how terrible Vietnam is or how the people there or like who cares 
And there's like all these scenes like either like American soldiers like raping and pillaging anybody they see or like being derogatory. And this is the first time I've really seen a movie where they, they show you the perspective of a general and him commanding an army from their side. Yeah, it, I guess it's Nguyen. Uh, he is, uh, I think he's in that intro, right? He's yes. he's one of the combatants in that, and then that's why he has that picture in the book and everything about this guy. Yeah. And then, yeah, you, you're kind of cutting inside their, their command post or whatever, and he's he's making these decisions. I kind of like that, that one scene that kind of cuts between the two of them where it's just like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to this creek bed and flank them. And then it cuts to Mel Gibson. He's like, they're going to try to flank us on the creek bed. we got to secure that right now and kind of stuff. Like you just kind of yeah. see these two like uh, chess people kind of clashing or whatever with yeah. their tactics. It was kind of neat. It like, is kind of neat. But when you really consider at the end of the movie like what they accomplished, all they did was like kill the Kong showed their – hand and that's it they still retreated too like right like they they left just as like they left well yeah it's like america fought and killed a bunch of people and they had to retreat from their outpost or whatever but then like at the end of the movie the same people are back in that area walking around looking at their dead or whatever like it's just like yeah they didn't like hold this position or anything like kind of just a whole bunch of carnage and mayhem and that's kind of like the whole point of the army like, the whole part of this war wasn't, like, the South pushing up against northern Vietnam to claim more for the South. It was, like, just a bunch of skirmishes were just, we're going to try to kill all your people. So there's none of yeah. you left. And it's, like, that's a not a very good plan. They, they were throwing around some numbers, right? Like, it sounded like in this battle, like, 1,800 Vietnamese were killed and, like, 100 Americans yeah. seemed to be what was going on. So you win, I guess, but... You yeah, don't. but the argument was, is like, yeah, like, you're right, they win, but they both now, like, Mel Gibson's character, who is slightly more prepared for this very small skirmish, obviously, the rest of the American army was not so prepared for the, these skirmishes to come, type of thing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it kind of just has this, like, uh, ill omen or something, like, this is the first battle, and it kind of went sideways in weird, bad ways, like, this isn't a good forecast for this conflict in general, and yeah. that's what would come to bear, I guess. Yeah. That's what I was reading anyway. I don't know, like, I, I was still, like, kind of giving the movie that and hoping it's not doing the kind of unironic, like, America, like, soldiers or like this is great we should do this in any kind of way like it was kind of dancing on the i think a bit. i mean for me it, for the when it comes to things like this it comes to how the movie ends so when pearl harbor ends it's a lot of hoorah america's great type of stuff like yeah we're we got called into the war and now it's over it's over for them like we oh japan screwed up we're yeah. gonna bring the hammer or whatever and it's like okay yeah so when this movie ends like, another piece I really liked about this movie is how, like, you have reporters reporting live on the field of, like, a battlefield. Mm-hmm. Like, that's nuts. Like, that's not the sub- that's the first time we had that, like, in that way where, like, people, like, my dad would tell me stories of, like, Vietnam was on the nightly news. Like, the images we see in movies, like, dra- dramatized in movies, they were seeing, like, bodies piled up from the front kind of thing yeah like there was like my dad was like yeah we've seen like they would see images of bodies being piled up and burning like there was just carnage on the nightly news because that's what reporting was for that's where like technology was at that point and could bring that to you yeah 
Um, uh, what is what is Barry Pepper's character? I kind of thought it was interesting how he was handled in this movie. Joe Galloway, he's a he's a photographer, a journalist. Well, it's just that he he's the narrator, like he's yeah. in he, the movie him, early. Well, he wrote the book with Mel Gibson's character in real life. Yeah, so he's the voice of the movie, but he doesn't actually appear in the story for like an hour and seven minutes. Yes, was my count on it. It was kind of yeah. like, oh neat. He just kind of emerges out of the out of everything. <laughs> like he's well, the movie just kind there. of pivots from like Mel Gibson's story to Barry Pepper's story halfway through. I guess so, yeah. Like, through all the training and the preparation and stuff, it's all Hal Moore and yep. him kind of, like, connecting with his men and everything. And, and just kind of this this attitude of, like, you need to look out for your brothers in arms or whatever because no one else is going to be able to help you when yep. it's on kind of thing. Yep. Uh, and then, yeah, I guess it, it kind of still, you know, checking in with him yeah, a lot during the him, battle and stuff. A, but We're seeing the battle through joe's eyes not through hal's eyes because if we saw the battle through hell's eye hell's eyes we probably wouldn't get the like they wouldn't have focused on the horror as much like we it's hal that picks up the legs of that burn victim that you were talking about oh it's oh it's it's jack or whatever what's the guy's name joe uh, joe yeah. yeah joe picks up the the legs of the burn victim that you're talking about like the guy who got his face burnt off uh oh, well, is that the same one. guy? No, I think it's, it's a different two different situations. Yeah, so but yeah, there's Joe a, Nakayama. A, mis- a mistake bombing that happens later on for this guy. He had a quick little like I just had a kid scene and I was like, Oh, that guy's dead. You don't tell people on the battlefield you just had a kid. You just say like, yeah. No, I'm I'm alone, I'm sad, pathetic, unrealized, so I'm good. Like, right? Don't don't say anything. If you say anything, it's a red shirt moment or something yeah. suddenly. Did he die though? Like oh, he was definitely died real in bad. Helicopter. Oh, okay. There's no way you survived that type of, of burn. Well, all right. I guess. You could just be disfigured for the rest of your days. No, no, no. I'm saying that but... t- that level of burn you don't survive type of thing. Okay. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, it pivots more to him because he's the one that's kind of witnessing the horror of these scenes. Yeah. So. All right. We're 30 minutes in or whatever. It's time to bring up our guy. The Invisible Man, Greg Kinnear. It's not thir- – it's – I was – that's the later conversation. Who legit – I've seen this movie like I think twice before. Yeah. Fully forgot that he was in this movie. Fully don't remember the, the Greg Kinnear connection. He plays Snake, a.k.a. Crandall, the the helicopter pilot hero. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, like, man, like – I know when he was, like him. he's he appears pretty early and I was like, "Oh man, Greg Kinnear is in this movie. I wonder how Ryan's going to feel about that." Here's the thing. So, <laughs> I know I rag on him a lot, but he in this movie genuinely proved to me why he's not a good actor. Oh, okay. Like cuz he just kind of disappears. No, a no, bit. I don't. That's just the movie. Like that's the movie. When he like quote unquote goes crazy, and has crazy eyes that one day where he sees a, like a Daniel first... Roebuck or whatever, the character actor. Yes. Yeah. When he goes, he pulls the gun out and does like Nick Cage crazy eyes, but like the weakest version of it I've ever seen. I was just like, oh, I mean, this is this guy. What kicked. I was getting from him there was just like, that dude's really tired. Was yeah, but I, he's I also he was playing. Oh, see, okay, great. That's not what he's going for. He's going for like, I just saw horrors today, man. Look into these eyes. You don't know what I've seen. Like he's, oh, was it? I, yeah. I feel like you just don't like him. That's what's happening. Because he, he gets out of the helicopter real, like, Logie. He was basically yeah, because a road he's trip exhausted. for 10 he hours. He says, like, you don't know what I've seen today. Like, 
he does tell that guy to back off and he pulls a pistol on him. Okay, so you're and, gonna yeah, sit here I and get, tell I think me it's because the liked... other guy has to come over to him. It's like, hey man, simmer down. It's like I don't know how simmering he is. But That's he's what I mean. Out, yeah. Like even that guy's like, whoa, man! Like you shouldn't be doing this. And I'm like, this is not matching what the engine energy that Greg Kinnear can't give you. Because so he's you're not... thinking he's supposed to be like flying off the handle, yeah. Like dangerous. He's got okay. a gun. He just pointed a gun at another soldier. I think it's just like, hey, man, leave me alone. No, Lay, he's doing crazy. Off. Oh my goodness! Slag I knew. Off, I somehow man. knew that this was gonna come up in some negative way. On me, I should have taken screenshots of him trying to act. No, I, I just, I, I didn't feel it was, I don't, whatever. I, I didn't, it didn't register as like a horrible scene or anything. I was kind of more like, who is that guy? I've seen that guy. Oh yeah, he's in the fugitive. Was kind of my moment with that scene. Wait, he's in the fugitive? The oh, no, Daniel guy. Roebuck is. I was like, yeah. Rick Kinnear's not in the fugitive, right? No, he, he did not disappear into that movie that's that is not true and when i say when we say disappear we're not saying like he's a good method actor who just like slinks into the background i know mean, no, no. it's it's like a basketball player that you know is on the court but he's not scoring any points or getting any rebounds or assists or anything or someone he's says great here and you're like doesn't he play for the pistons but he actually plays for like the it's lakers like, no dude he got traded like last season it's or like, he never oh, played okay. for the pistons ever because he's, he's just a dude that he's you're like there Who? But he's not on the bench. It's like, no, he played 20 minutes in that game. You just don't remember because he didn't do anything. Because he didn't do anything. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. He does not move the needle, really, I guess. Yeah, yeah, he's in things. Third build. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he has some sort of kinship with Randall Wallace, though, because he goes on to be, like, the dad in Heaven is for Real. Yeah, so uh, Randall definitely, like, <laughs> Randall's got some, like, Christian at christian stuff going on huh well the, i was slightly dismayed to see that on the resume i guess i was like oh no i made fun of that movie when i heard it existed oh, oh well. as you should make fun of any of those movies yeah Even he's got point of honor which now i'm going to sit here and tell you is probably probably a christian movie too it sounds like it could be yeah uh but what what was it about the like okay it's, I think it was just that early bit where, like, I, I was on little pins and needles about Mel because of all the things that happened. And then there was, like, kind of a point where the character's like, yeah, no, like, we do Catholic prayers in this household. Yeah. Like, uh, all right, cute little cherubic kid, uh, you can pray like that, but, mm, like, it was just this, it was that moment with, like, the gathering around to do the lord's prayer yes was i don't know like, if that's him though. i just think that's the character i guess the character but it, it was expressly catholic so i was like oh mel signed on like he was all about this i mean but mel's played many a non-catholic in his tenure has as he a, in his movies well because i'm just thinking signs he's also catholic he's not, he not catholic no he's like Protestant. he has the collar and everything yeah because there's reverence he's also married with children but you can you can't nope. do that maybe he's no. lutheran I guess. That's what Protestant know. is. Yeah, he's Protestant. He's a reverend. Uh, but kind of like stiff caller still, you know. He's not like the cool youth pastor. You know what I'm saying? No, he's definitely. But in that movie, he's also like post doesn't believe in God stuff. Like that's the whole point. His wife. Yeah, he's having a crisis of faith at the time. But then he, he, he signs ha- on well, again because. He hates God in that movie. Like he's like God is evil type of thing. Except he, then at the end, he, he signs off. Yeah, he flips over on, this, on the end, but that's an M. Night. Yeah. Again, that's M. Night. I think what you're doing is that you're putting... I'm like, yes, Mel Gibson things. signed I'm up for that movie, but this is like, 
I see all this in the weeds because of Mel's kind of track record post passion. You know? Okay, so let's like for me. Okay, I think I think what you're doing is you're confusing the message here because I think he did this movie because Randall Wallace wanted to make this movie, and yeah. him and Randall Wallace are friends. Probably connect through like some Christian stuff too, but I think he did it as like a favor for Randall who at this point had like one movie under his belt and it was like a kind of a big flash in the pan bomb. What? He, he did the man in the iron mask. Oh, okay. Was that a bomb? I just remember it kind of having a cool cast. So yeah, I it's just one of those, like it point. just wasn't well liked. It might've done well at the box office. It did find the box office. It seemed like it kind of came and went. Like it's like a late nineties, like, Oh yeah, that thing. But that's what I mean. Like it, but it never really, like, considering its cast, it's kind of like a deeply forgettable film. Sure, for sure. I, I thought you were kind of citing his, his screenplay credit for Braveheart. Oh, no, no, like no. Well, he, didn't he get an Oscar thing. nomination or potentially a win for that? He could have even won Best Screenplay for all I know. That definitely was a No, I was meaning a director, a director clout for him to get, like, a, to yeah, make a yeah. big movie. He was able to get his buddy Mel on board. Um, so I would say, like, Mel might be attracted to Christian characters, but I don't think like that's not the wealth of his entire career because pretty sure Mad Max is not a Catholic. They don't really, he's a silent guy. He's a silent guy, you're right. But I don't see any crosses happening. There's a lot of sequences where a Catholic, a good Catholic would cross themselves. He could have some like beads or whatever, you know, (laughs) if he cared. Yeah. But anyways, I, th- I think my, my point is like... But I, I don't think Mel had the pull in his young career to do that. To like sure. be selective that way. But again, like know? Martin Riggs is also not... I'm just saying like again, I think it's more Randall. So. I think it's yeah. more Randall who is more overtly Christian because he went on to make Heaven is for Real. Yeah. Like I think he's the more overtly Christian person. And I'm pretty sure he's writing the script for the second Passion of the Christ movie. The second Passion of the Christ movie? Yeah, like the Resurrection movie. <sighs> what? Like Jim Caviezel's back? Yeah, like it's... Jesus Christ? <laughs> yeah. The Ascension is going to happen at the end of that? Uh, Probably, because like the first oh, movie ends... Doubting Thomas is going to be all skeptical and stuff. That's okay. Yeah, it'll be like those 40 days. <laughs> the story of those 40 days. All right. Yeah. Hey, it, it made a lot of money, so... It, it, it did. If anything, what took so long? Because well, if, well, because like, wait, like Jim Caviezel is gonna look so much older, and it's like, what? This is like the next day, but it's like, well, he went and just. But to Catholics, sin, he went it, to hell and back. It takes a toll on you. Yeah. So he went to that's hell. So he's gonna come out like, looking. Whoa, a little Jesus! Rough. Why do you look fifty-six? That's why I'm skeptical that it's you. It's like, no, you know, it guys, was tough three days in hell is equal Time to about twenty different. years in real life. So, airtight. Yeah, never mind. So he's working <laughs> so anyways, on that screenplay. My point is Randall Wallace is, I think, is the more overtly Christian person of the group. Yes, okay. I think he's got the Catholicism. But, I mean, Mel Gibson movies are so – I mean, this movie is also deeply violent. But Mel Gibson is also so, like, unrequitedly violent sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I just don't see – the like, I, I'm not saying, like, he's not – it doesn't influence him. I'm just saying, like, before this movie, he had slews upon slews of just, like – like some of the most violent movies in Hollywood for almost 10 years. Like yes. he takes a chain on a ball and smashes a dude's head in while he's in bed. Like I saw that scene as a kid. That was Braveheart. I don't want to say that's also Catholic, but kind of 
<laughs> like they but, don't mind that stuff. Like but, violence. Oh yay. no 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 no! I know what you're saying. Yes yes. It's you know, the Catholic, it, like it's the, this movie. Yeah, it was like wow. This is like intensely R-rated, but exclusively for violence. Like yes. there's no hint of sex. None of these people are having sex ever. No. None of them are using hateful language of any kind. Correct. Except maybe Sam Elliott in that scene with the the private that What's he What's so keeps. damn nice about it type of thing he says? Was that all he said? Yeah. yeah. It's like you were watching the Superstation edit kind of thing at times. It was like I have seen hard-boiled v- like you know, bless Arlie Ermy. I feel what he's bringing <laughs> is real stuff that's sure. how like broken your psyche is in those situations you're going to be saying horrifying think, things that people are going to be spamming and counter-strike chats forever i totally agree i think though yeah. he's doing it from so arlie amory's portrayal isn't that like that's not pre-vietnam what no that is i'm a boot sergeant in vietnam yeah like, that's right so I, I think like he's making an intentional choice to be like this is the idealized version of America pre-Vietnam. Kind so of. There wasn't like, like it's this... like they're walking in with like these are fifties kids. Honestly, yeah. that that party they kind of have with like the they're dancing and stuff yes. before the war. I was like, this is so like Truman cornball fifties yes. kids. They have not like grown up yet. You know, that's <laughs> like, what I mean. Like I think if he was to make like a it. We Were Soldiers two. I think it it could easily have like shown you the other side of like it would be like Born on the Fourth of July would be the like the sequel to this movie like sure. we're now jaded and angry and terrible people at, at that hour point I was kind of hoping the movie was doing like uh, they devolve over the course of the movie like by the end of day th- like two or whatever of the battle they're just throwing curses at each other <laughs> like I thought because I've seen that happen in a, a video game like. Uh, Oh, what is what is that conflict? Just give me twenty seven seconds to look this up and pretend I knew this whole time. Uh, it's this Nolan North video game. Nolan North war game. Sorry, Spec Ops: The Line is the video game where things start with kind of like very crisp military jargon, and then by as things get worse, they start getting looser and cursier and angrier and stuff so i i kind of thought it was going to do that no and it's like no they don't do that no no i think it's i mean i might be giving this movie too much slack when it comes to some of these things but i i think i think they're making a choice because i i've heard mel gibson swear up a bunch of times but i think they're making a choice of like they're intentionally telling you the story of like this idealized version of america who has never lost a war who thinks they're great they set foot on a battlefield they don't know, and they're and it's not great. And they're kind of in over their head or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. No, I. It, it also sort of felt like it was it was bringing like a Sergeant York or like a World War Two, like kind of a John Wayne character. Honestly, like Hal Moore yeah. felt like that would fit uh, smarter into though. this crazier war. Yes, <laughs> I guess. No, yeah. I would say, but smarter because John Wayne's soldiers characters are not smart they're just like toothlessly brave like he oh okay charges headfirst into things and win because they're better i mean he literally charges headfirst at a point uh but is saved a last second by greg kinnear <laughs> like, yes. there's there's kind of a moment where he's staring down the barrels of this kind of ambush and then suddenly hero shot of greg kinnear yeah. strafing in his helicopter and smoking all these guys <laughs> so 
<laughs> that happens. Okay. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Explosions. I, I, Ashley cries during this movie. She thought the. There's so, a there was a moment that was in that zone for me with like uh it's right near the end though so I'll put it in my pocket again okay so the, hers hers is the Madeline Stowe, uh, and I thought it was a pretty effective scene too. So she gets a knock at the door late at night, and it's one of the and it's a yellow cab, and in the community, so all the wives of these soldiers we see are back home on the base, and a yellow cab comes typically means a telegram's being delivered. If he knocks on your door, not good news type of thing. So someone yeah. this tell this cab knocks on her door. She assumes the worst. He's she goes sees the door, and he's like, uh, "Excuse me, ma'am, do you know where this house is?" And she loses on him like like all that anxiety and fear just like unleashes on him. I thought his speech was really well done. Like I was like, "Yeah, that's a terrible job." Like just to to be like all day long, every day you just walk up and say. Here's dead. here's the worst news you could get. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. So yeah. I thought he would he did a really good job. I thought that was a good like little scene. Uh but she she struggles with like the like the next scenes too. When they do, she does she then says to the guy, like, hey, just bring me these letters, I'll deliver them. So it's a friendly yeah. face type of thing. So this this was kind of the part of this movie I remember the most. Like it's been twenty years since I've seen it. Uh but yeah, the kind of like Carrie Russell just had a kid and everything, and they they come back from delivering a sad letter, and there's like eight of them. Yeah, and it's just like, man, this is such a like heavy burden in this weird way, like to take that on to their friends because they established yeah, to, before uh, the like, scenes. That's why it's better than this cab driver, though, because it's at least, like, someone who can give you a hug and, like, you know. Oh, 100%. I no, guess I totally it get, softens the blow, but, I yeah. totally get why Madeline Stowe was like, I should do this because these are my friends. Because there's a scene earlier where all these women are together having tea, joking, and, like, there's a cordialness to them. Yeah. Um. So it makes sense why she was like, no, I should do this. It should be from a friendly face. It's just... I did feel bad for the cab driver because he got yelled at and it's like, I don't want to be doing this. I feel terrible. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think it was that, that sequence, that kind of subplot was like what made the movie, the messenger like linger to me. I've never seen it. There's like a full movie. That's like basically that idea writ large with like uh, Ben Foster and Woody Harrelson are like, is it the messenger is the postman? No, no, it's not the postman because that's Kevin Costner's post-apocalyptic. Wait, yeah, craziness. which one are you talking? About? What's the messenger? I think it's it. I think it's called the messenger. It's not the Jonah Arc movie. It is. It is about like people who have to do this, like Marines know, who go and deliver bad news. I know, but who's in this movie? Ben Foster and Woody Harrelson. I think Ben Foster was nominated for like supporting actor or something. So the like messenger. I saw it on the Oscars. Oh yeah, I was like, oh, there's this movie. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's a real movie. <laughs> but the, seeing this little story here made me go like, yeah, that's, that's probably you could you could flesh this out. You could do something with this, I yeah. guess, uh, more so because I, I, I liked that they teed up something that I wish they did differently. Like uh, when they get back and there's like nine telegrams, they're just like, oh, geez. OK, we won't look at them. We'll just go one by one. And then we'll like they put them in their purse because it could be their letter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there, there is a scene where Chris Klein has been killed and Carrie Russell is the person this time. 
I, I kind of wish they were just doing their rounds and then open their purse and pull out the next one and then collapse or something. Like, sure. just have that moment. Like, so that image, that image of this system, like, the worst happening in that like system. Like, these women kind of trying to be there for each other and support each other, and then it kind of, like, hits weird. Like, yeah. I just thought they could have played that I, a honestly, little better. I get why. I mean, I actually, I think I fully agree with you. I think that is a better written scene that would have been more emotionally impactful. I yeah. get why Randall Wallace wrote it the way he did because he wanted that exchange of like, you're old, I'm young, so it's oh you got the letter right, and then like that's the line I, that he I guess her. so. I also thought they might not want to give Carrie Russell like two moments where she's dealing with that because they 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 do this kind of nice scene with like a post war dust is settled. We're sending letters to people and everything. Mel sends the bracelet he wore. Yeah. to her and the picture and booklet he found on a dead soldier or whatever that John Ham found on a soldier actually yeah. to like uh the Vietnamese guy's partner. Yep. And like they're both looking at them at the same time. It's kind of this like, oh see there's both sides. There's yeah, more yeah. dimension yeah. to this. Well and it just I think it shows you the character of him. Like again that That he sees like combatants is like no, they're just they're well, just and the movie sees co- the combatants not numbers. as like scum yeah. of the earth anti Americans, right? Like communist scum. They, yeah. they see them like he there's a shred of humanity even within this conflict where they have to kill each other. They're killing each other. Yeah. Like we're we're united in that we're both soldiers, we just have different goals or whatever. Yeah. I felt there was even some of that in just the the simple battle logistics stuff of just like we gotta take this creek bed, we gotta take this creek bed, and then yeah. therefore conflict, you know? Yeah. Like that's just how it is. Yeah. In this situation. So So what's the scene that what's the scene that almost got you? Uh it's it's right I think it's it's something honestly it's Mel's line read a little bit. It's pretty good. Uh but it it's this kind of the dust is settled. They're 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 talking and like. Uh, is this when he goes and he's wandering off and he stumbles across Barry Pepper? Well, Joe is saying like I don't know how I can tell this story, and it's yeah. that line where he says like, "Well, you've got to Joe." Like there is just this yeah. like weird like G shucks is there, but he's also breaking just a little bit. Yeah. Like he can't put the face on it anymore or whatever. Like there was something about that that I thought was like heavy in a good way mm-hmm. where it's just like the this burden of responsibility for the people he lost in this this battle and everything like it, it just kind of was very not subtle all the music's there yeah, yeah, and everything yeah. like it's, it's it's going for that on. sweeping the sweepingness but, of everything but you're saying but it's... after like an hour and a half of just bedlam and chaos or whatever like just to have it all kind of well and th- like this succinct. movie is mainly war sequences like this movie yeah. is that's something I was thinking, like, this is probably why I would have liked it as a fifteen year old, is just like, oh, it's just on for like forty minutes. And then there's a little break at night, and it's on again for like twenty five minutes. Like it's just like there's just shooting well, and it's running and exploding happening. Deeply violent and deeply gory and deeply like like but without it being like unrealistic. Like it's not going to the Quentin Tarantino level of gore, it's just being like like this is what would happen if somebody got covered in napalm. Like, and if you tried to grab them, like their legs would. Be oh, cooked. some of the artillery cannon stuff too is just like I don't even know how they're doing some of this because they they're going for a lot of practical effects. Yes, which is like there's just like stuntmen flying through the air with like limbs oh, off. There's a bombing sequence where the giant yeah. like people are running through a field, and then there's just like giant explosion of flames because it's a bomber coming in, and I'm like, 
those are people like really close to that flame like really close yeah to that i flame. guess so it's like tropic thunder yeah. <laughs> or something but real yeah, it's like tropic thunder well the movie that tropic thunder they were trying to make in tropic thunder kind of um, but just that kind of like the whole strip just is yeah, on fire now and i'm yeah. sitting there being like wow this is like they really went to town on the practical effects in this battle sequence type of thing. There's some real explosions happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's pretty um, wild stuff. Okay, what did you think of Barry Pepper's moment? Barry Pepper's... Oh, man. Uh, I kind of liked it, okay. but in a, like, wow, you, sh- you this is so amateur and dumb in a way, but I kind of applaud... That he like, it's it. like student film, yeah. like you trying can, something. You can tell that this is a sophomore film based yeah. on the sequence. Cause but he's like, I, I was kind of like vibing with it a bit. Cause it's just like you, this wouldn't happen. Like a real shirt, like, you know, Kubrick would never do this. <laughs> Oliver Stone would never do this. France Ford would never do this yeah. to be, to, to be clear there. Like, so his role in the movie, Joe is he's taking photos, right? Yeah. He's taking he, photos. He's, he's right there on the ground chronicling yeah. the, the chaos. They essentially just have like this photo montage. Oh, no, 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 one second. So right before this photo montage. So yes, he's taking photos, but then he's like, you know what? Like I have to defend myself cause I'm going to get killed. So that's when he grabs oh. a gun and then to he me, gets Barry Pepper's moment is him in a black room. No, 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 no. It is. I'm just giving some yeah, context okay. of this sequence. <laughs> so he has a gun and he's just like trying to get into the mix of things and survive, but be participate. And he becomes so deeply overwhelmed with the violence of it all that he hangs up his gun, drops his gun and drops grabs his, his picture. And that's the war he's going to fight, which then leads into this sequence. Yeah. Uh, he did get to like basically state his position to Mel Gibson, where it's just like, "Oh man, like my dad was a soldier, his dad was a soldier, two of my granddads were soldiers. I'm gonna try to understand a war this time or whatever. Like I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna shoot with my camera, not with a rifle or whatever." Yeah. Yeah. And then you get that, and then it leads into this like, yeah, amateur film. Like, like he's on a soundstage, black screen. He's on like, a soundstage, soundstage. Yeah, and it's he, it's overlaying. Uh, footage of violence, explosions, and stuff and like that. Photos he's while taking. he's like dramatically turning and taking photos on a soundstage in a spotlight. It's just him kind of pantomiming, yeah, photo taking, yeah, in this very like. But he's concerned, and he's like being very dramatic. It's like honestly, okay. I don't I appreciate even that blame it's like, him for it. I no, blame no, no, Randall well, Wallace for like the direction of that's just, what like, I mean. just like pretend so, you're there. Just pretend you're in a in a field seeing all this. It's like, all right, okay. But that's what I'm like, saying. Like, so <laughs> you know, it definitely has like an amateur. Like conceptually, I'm like, okay, I get what you're trying to do here, and then he executes it in a really like amateur way. Kind of, yeah. Like big hearted. Yeah. Like it's good. It's a good idea. Well, there and there is an idea there that could be done better by somebody else who's better. Sure. Uh, but then Barry Pepper, I think, like, for me, it's like, oh, this is, like, classic, like, Juilliard acting where he is literally pantomiming and he's like, you really have to get into the moment. And he's just, like, very into these sequences of, like, turning towards the camera, camera snap. And, like, and I'm like, yeah, this is, like, pretty classic stage acting that he's doing in a film, though. Like, it's... He's... Yeah, it, it was kind of awkward and, like, the music's trying to... Kind of covering for it and the it's music is not the character. Movie, though. That's the big... My big... A big qualm I have is I don't love the music in this movie. Okay. I... 
there I was dancing around on it because I like how they use the Sergeant McKenzie song like over and over again as a recurring motif. I thought that was good. Yeah. The score is very like, yeah, this is heavy. This is, you know, sad and everything. Like it it was a little much. But the it like to be clear, it's that kind of like Scottish guy singing this like weird slow chanty song over a bunch of parts of the movie like sure. when they're first departing in the helicopters yep. and everything. It's just it it's like the only song I was like this kind of gives this movie its own musical identity like this is a weird choice and I like it. It it was kind of that was the one thing I'd give to the music. Yeah. They use they use that song like four times. Sure. So they get a lot of mileage out of it. Uh so yeah, that that that's what I'll say to the music, I guess. I guess but, for me the scenes yeah. that were the music really could have saved a couple sequences like where the i can get on board conceptually with the script i can get on board with the choices the director's making but the music isn't quite putting it over the edge so therefore i'm like being a little more critical of like the like the sequence with barry pepper i'm like watching and i'm like but if the music was hitting it maybe that scene would have worked maybe i wouldn't even think about it yeah because like the, the, the music here. could just be like yeah. oh this this made me believe in what, what's happening right now but that music never fully rounded out that scene and therefore i was watching that scene unemotionally from a critical point being like oh man this is interesting choices happening yeah so. it's nick glennie smith did the score he He's is not somebody he did the rock which is a, which is a good scout score so because i can think uh, of it in my several brain. people did the rock though like yeah he, i mean hans zimmer did a, a song for the rock hans zimmer did a song harry grips and williams did some stuff for the rock yeah. like who knows <laughs> so what he yeah. did for the rock you're right yeah uh i do see him listed here though but it's with two of the two people we just mentioned so <laughs> so if there's any kind of like eh, songs in the rock might have been him <laughs> you're right it might have been, been nick him. Yeah. uh i just don't want to give the i know it is him but like it pains me because i don't love hans zimmer he's on a not a he's not a fan of the show I, I I I ridicule him a lot. There was a there are points though, like there is a piece he did for True Romance that is fantastic. Sure, like he used I mean, to write music. It's honestly so. hard to like. It's hard to argue '90s and uh like Hans Zimmer because he also did The Lion King. Like, there's really good music in Lion King. But like the main, I know he did the main song, like that, the main thrust theme song of The Rock, and that's that's him. I'm like that's like, a good dun, 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 yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's yeah, but, it's but I mean, fi- like, but fine. then Nolan showed up in his life, and then he was like, "Oh wait, I don't have to make music anymore." Perfect. I was gonna smash these organs anyways. I might as well record it, and yeah. it's like, "Oh, that's great." Yeah, Perfect. just put it right also, over this cornfield. Oh, we're scene. just gonna time out our music now, so it's only gonna be about like how it times, like seconds. Mm-hmm. That's music now. It's like, is that music, man? Like, is it? Is that music when it's just like all about like? How it beats out, like that's not beats per minute doesn't make up a good song. So like probably once a week, somewhere on Reddit, someone is like, "Oh man, praising the that's, genius." That song in Interstellar, though, yeah. mm. oh, so kismet, good. Right? It's the like kismet. The and and you know what song it is? It's the song that you and I both were like, "This is garbage." Like this is actually. It's, I think it's the one during the docking scene everyone likes. Okay, but it, it, the one when Michael Caine's character is dying though. I hate I hate well, the use for, of it. It was the for me it was the the first moment I remember like vividly remember being like what is happening because I didn't really hate Hans Zimmer at that point but I was like it was when 
Matthew McConaughey is driving away from his kids crying. Yeah. And I'm just like watching him kill it. Like be like, this is great. I love when Christopher Nolan hires good actors to be emotional in his movies because he doesn't know how to do that. And then this song comes on and it's just like, and I'm just like, what? what this is not doing? fitting what's happening. Yeah. Like, so that was, uh, that was my moment where I was like, oh, I don't, I don't like, I don't think this guy's good. But anyways, yeah. uh, and so then, scores. Well, then people know. just talk about Tenant being like, they rave about it because it's like, if you like listen to the music, like it times out with the movie. Like he's, it's like on a beats per second thing. Like but that's not times. him. That wasn't, that wasn't hands. The, he didn't do, wait, what's the movie that he does by time then? Oh, it's Inception. Sorry, Inception is the one oh, that he sure. does by time. Okay. But I'm like, I don't care. Like, I don't, that doesn't matter. It doesn't sound good. So. Oh, sorry. So you're saying this, okay. Cause as they get deeper into the dream, the time signature changes. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's clever, I guess, but all right. Uh... <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like, I'm like, yeah, it's clever, but you still have to make good music. Like John Williams, like he might, if, if Hans hum, Zimmer, humming that all day long, if man, Hans Zimmer was like, Hey, why don't you just change the time signature? John would then be like, Oh cool. Good idea. I'm going to make a good song out of this. Thing. I'm going to make a theme though. That'll, you know, you'll remember it. Yeah. And yeah. Like, and and oh, also yeah. it'll be on an interesting time signature. So I love that song from Inception. Instead of like, yeah, it was cacophonous and loud. That was fun. I I don't know. Yeah, right. I forgot. I watched that I movie once and it was do, cool. He but, didn't yeah. do Tenant, huh? Who was the guy that? That was the. But that was an audio mix. Probably you saw that with us. We saw it in theaters, right? Yeah. Just did we? We didn't. We didn't see it together though. We did. Yeah, we did at the IMAX. It was like at at IMAX, it was kind of like COVID. Like we gotta we gotta see it though. Well, yeah, we gotta, it was like, yeah, it was it. like the first, it was the only big movie that came out in like 2020 post-COVID. All right, it's it's Ludwig Göransson. Oh, it's, it's Ludwig. And I yeah. like Ludwig. Um, Generally like Ludwig. I don't necessarily like his Nolan stuff. But I actually, I don't actually make the argument that I don't like the music in that movie. But I would say it's that's a sound mix problem. Like that's a Christopher Nolan being like, hey, this sound effect needs to be louder than what's talking right now. Like there's actors talking. Let's make this white noise louder. Oh, uh, yeah, man. Okay, I, yeah. I I generally still think Christopher Nolan's got some talent, sure. but it was like it is those choices where it's just like, all right. So during this like the scene where they're discussing the heist, they should be like sailing a sh- on a boat, and the the water and the surf is splashing around. And you can't even hear them. It's like, why would that be? What? You, why? <laughs> like, just have them at a table or something. Saying what they're gonna Correct. do, it's like no, I, no, hey, it's, I also so like good. Nolan. That's I thought Dun- I loved Dunkirk. Like I actually, I thought, and I thought Hans Zimmer's score for Dunkirk worked really well because I was tense the whole movie, and I think it was that like constantly like that high note strum on the violin nonstop thing. Sure, sure. And I was just it so it has stressed. a time and place or something. Yeah. yeah. So when and I then there's is, that piece of music when all the boats show up, and you're like, yay! But that's what I'm saying. But, like I like yeah. I like Dunkirk, so I like Nolan still. I'm just watching some of his movies and his choices sometimes, and I'm like, yeah, I'm perplexed. I'm like, who, who, who is this for, Nolan? Who is this for? What do you make? Who are you making telling stories for here, buddy? Because it's not for me. Because you're not. I can't understand a story if I don't know what's happening. Yeah, maybe he has like money in a speaker company or something. He's trying to like. He, blow I actually heard out an argument. Theaters. I heard a comment. I haven't checked it out, but I I, I came across a comment that somebody saying like. He had mentioned in an interview 
that he doesn't care if you can't hear what's happening because that's not the that's not what the theatrical experience is about. And I was like, it's what? An itch, it's, what are you it's talking like, about? Yeah, wait, wait until you get home and like buy it, and then you can put the subtitles on. You'll hear what what Bane was saying. Sure, yeah, cool. but I'm like, that's not. What do you mean it's not like I want to know what characters are saying because that should matter to the story I'm watching. Do you, do you remember that though? It yes. was like Ghost Protocol, like with I think it was Ghost Protocol. It it came with like a ten minute chunk of Dark Knight Rises. Yes, and it was and the it plane was sequence. like mixed differently than when it finally came out because people because hated it was just it. like, dude, what is going on? Like I like Tom Hardy. Why can't I understand him? It's like well, because right. there's a mix, and that was a terrible scene because. They, they mixed his voice weird, so it was really muffled. Mm. Mixed in with, like, they kept all the white noise of this, like, small cabin airplane. And you're just like, I I hear someone yelling, but there's no articulation. It's just... Like, stunts are good and everything. And you're just like, what? I want to hear that funny voice is doing. And, yeah, it's great. So they did fix that. You're right. They did fix that in that movie. I guess enough feedback could get to him at that point in time. <laughs> could so. get to him at that point. Yeah. Anyways, I don't know. We got a anyway, really yeah, off huge on this one. M- music tangent. Uh, <laughs> music in this movie uh, reminded us of bad music, I guess, in other movies. <laughs> no, 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 it just took us to Hans Zimmer, and then that like spiraled out of control. That spiraled out of control. We had a lot mm-hmm. of baggage about Hans sitting around. So yeah, didn't he win a trophy last year? Anyway, for Dune, yeah, for Dune, yeah. Which I, I was to... like, genuinely speaking, one of my least favorite scores out last year. I, I I can't mix the pot again. I just did it. I just I just mixed the pot again. It's fine. <laughs> All right, so we were soldiers once and young. Uh, that's the book, mm-hmm. and it ends with the uh, the Vietnam Memorial, that giant black monolithic wall with all the names and stuff. Yeah, with like a like mysteriously not aged mel gibson it's been like 30 just years just like slightly yeah like, like it's just, just like, a little bit of gray oh, his hair hair's like, a little white i don't know i was i was supposed to be playing an older character like this they didn't build that memorial like immediately after the world like they were done that war no so <laughs> this is yeah a deck like this is probably two three decades and yeah. he just kind of wow look they just good put a little bit like 70s. oh he's got a little gray in his hair that's all that guy's aging really well colonel howell really really you know kept running and <laughs> looking after himself i guess whatever yeah. um but yeah no it's you know it, it it's it's reasonably effective war movie kind of a different tone than a lot of vietnam war movies just like less bitterness and anger. yeah like they definitely don't have as much <laughs> you know? they don't have as much resentment or angst caught up in this one yet but you can see it like bubbling under the surface because it's it's I mean, starting. it it kind of ends with the the little postscript about you know guys returning home and there's no parades for him and stuff yeah. like the kind of uh, Rambo mentality. Yeah, we were like, born on the Fourth of July is the big the big one where it's like that's like not they, John Rambo. They, you know. <laughs> well, to be fair, you're right. Both of them are like they hated those vets. Like Americans actively hated Vietnam vets, despite yeah. them being cons- many of them being conscripted. So. I think there's even a line, right? I was just like, well, it's not a war. Like, it's a war they agreed to fight or something. It's it's like they were ordered to do this, so they did. And, like, that doesn't make them bad people kind of thing yeah. is, is kind of what it's getting at. Sure. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, you know, it's – it's. I feel it was kind of sincere and – I don't know. At some point, I, I, I kind of bought into it a bit as it went on. Yeah, I think there's, uh, a, I think there's a level of sincerity to this movie that, like, I see all the points you're making about, like – about Mel Gibson and Randall Wallace and like they're pretty like not 
like thin their thin veneer of like christendom being too heavily mixed into this movie well um, uh, just at the outset like it, it was just kind of the two characters they chose to focus on like jack and Hal. kind of that's a keystone to their lives so they sure. kind of emphasize it or whatever uh but i don't know like it it, it eventually just became this is a chaotic battle like it, yeah. it's not but we're um, not you know every time he shoots someone he's quoting a bible verse or something like it doesn't <laughs> right. go weird with it doesn't like he's not trying to convert these vietcon no yeah um but yeah, like it, just, it eventually does just like, at least it wins me over as time goes on because I start to see like a little bit less of that like flag wavingness uh, as time goes on. So I appreciate that about this movie. So yeah, I was almost wondering like there is a literal tiny flag at the end, and then like the other journalists that show up are taking photos of that. Yeah, and it's like Joe is just like no i'm too real like i can't even explain to you how this well, in all, kind of in all thing honestly you know? like i feel like that flag was planted there even like in movie ironically because it's like this little tiny flag and like haha we won but none of us are feeling good about it and but no, like that leave. would that it's, context would not stay well they leave that and photo, then the right? Viet, like the vietnam the vietnamese people come back like immediately <laughs> like they yeah don't... and i kind of liked it because like that commander like picks it up and like thinks about it but then he puts it back yeah like it was kind of like i thought he was gonna be like Pleh, like throws it down or whatever but it's just like yeah you got this one i guess but we'll we'll get you later or, <laughs> or this something. is like a, an empty gesture of like they didn't even really plant a flag it's a planting a flag in a field they abandoned like that they like sure your tiny little like six inch flag yeah, you can have that. Yeah, I guess exactly. I'll let you have that one. They did like, like it, they, they didn't hold their ground. They literally like they were retreating within day one, and then they weren't able to get out because there's too much enemies. Mm-hmm. Right, like that was the why they were only there three days to get to a point where they could retreat because they were retreating day one. But then they were just so overwhelmed that they had to well, like eva- medevacking people, and then he had to call in the broken arrow. Yeah, which uh, was just bomb everything i guess <laughs> yeah that yeah was, it was that was bomb the, everything um yeah i yeah. can't really speak to the combat authenticity i was kind of thinking like oh someone with knowledge of that can point to certain things and they'll be watching an entirely different movie uh because there there was little things i was like is that what you like specifically how on the battlefield like that's his whole thing is like i am not i'm not some general off in an office somewhere phoning it in and like ordering men to their deaths i am on the field i'm well, he's a lieutenant colonel yeah so but he's their leader right yeah but lieutenant colonels are on battlefields i'm pretty sure it's when they get to colonel that they start becoming uh strategists and he's a colonel not again. not my point i'm just saying oh, like he he's a man of character or whatever is kind of yeah. how he's positioned here right he's not like those guys yes uh eventually in his career he would become a general so yes that's, that's and fine. he's actually a colonel at the end of the movie when we see him next at his house he's a colonel like a full colonel yeah, yeah that's right yeah. uh but okay it's more just like early on when he's kind of like whistling and signaling and stuff it's just like should you out that you're the commander well in the field like should wouldn't a sniper just be like oh that guy's in charge and then that's it for you and you've screwed up everything yeah i i I, I was like like, i was intrigued by the choice for both him and sam elliott to be standing the whole time sure everybody else is like but i think yeah there's a lot of that like there's even him just kind of like surveying everything and like it's like he's reading the situation or whatever but it's just like yo get down like this is bad but it's like no 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 
John Wayne equivalent does not duck. He is too strong. Or, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't think... I was getting those vibes a little no, bit. No, sure. Though. I understand what you're saying, but I don't think he... Uh, well, how do I put this? I don't think he was invincible to bolts, but I think he recognized that he had a job. His job is to survey the, like, to... Yeah, yeah. So he can't duck down. So I think he just took it as his job, and if he got a bullet, he gets a bullet. And he did. He he, he took that one in the shoulder, yes. like it brushed his shoulder. But I feel like if he took a bullet to the head, I think he was just like, yeah, this is my job. That's what I... My job is yeah, to Yeah, and then he up. does have that line of just like, I, I'm going to regret this. What? Men died under my command, and I didn't. Yes. Like he has kind of like this survivor's guilt kind of yeah, so I think he's expression okay. at the end. I, it's like not a death wish, but he, th- he I think he just recognizes this is my job. My job is to do this. If I take a bullet, that's just a natural part of my job. So ducking, it's not my job to duck. It's my men's job to duck. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I kind of thought Ham was gone, but I think he was, he was that radio guy later, right? Later, yes, yeah. Yeah, because I was like, oh, he was only in the boot camp scenes, but then it's like, no, he no, kinda, no, he's, he's there because he finds the journal right at the end. Yeah, he's so. the guy that finds the the rival soldier's journal. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But okay, we were soldiers. We were soldiers. Uh, MVP time. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go first. So. No, you don't. But I'll share Ashley's first. Oh yeah. Uh, so for reasons I don't quite understand, I don't. I, she loves Sam Elliott. I, I was kind of wondering if she would do that because um, I think you mentioned Roadhouse and it's like, oh, it's not Patrick Swayze. It's it's Sam Elliott yeah. just being the silver dynamo, yeah, silver she's, fox. She really likes Sam Elliott. Yeah. Uh, oh, and Tombstone. Tombstone's the other movie where she was like Sam Elliott's her go-to jam in that movie as well. Okay. Um, But I guess specifically speaking, there's this um sequence of events, this gag that, that – um, Randall Wall sets up through the movie that has a payoff at the end. So twice before we go into battle, uh, Sam Elliott's walking across the army base and Sam Elliott's playing a grump, like just classic Sam Elliott, no mustache. So it looks weird. Um, Totally. Like when he first appeared, I was like, what? Who am I? Oh wow. He's not leaning on the mustache. And that upper lip of his looks bare. Like it looks naked. Like it's like, oh, you should cover that up, man. Um, Sure. He's walking across the base. He's kind of a gruff, guy lee marvin type yes you know? oh yeah yeah which works for sam Elliott because he can have a good scour pretty good like you can scour the yeah. best of them and there's this young dude who's always walking across from like walking past him and he's like good morning like sergeant and he's like multiple times what's, says what's this. so good about he's it like, what, what's so damn good about it type of thing or like, like kind of bites his head off every morning yeah he's always giving him a yeah. hard time for like greeting him cheerfully and at the end of the whole thing, this guy who's saying good morning, he's the dude that led the men up advancing first off in the battlefield. And he's the one that gets trapped overnight trying to survive with uh, Viet- Vietnamese people all over him. Okay, yeah. He's part of the separated battalion. Yeah, that is, so he, that and he's the kinda... leader of it. Like, he's the one that has to keep his men alive. Yeah. When he comes back at the near the end of the movie, he's kind of shell-shocked. He's tired, exhausted. He looks up. And it's like the the last morning, and Sam Elliott's like, like kind of giving him like a, a a branch, being like, "Fine morning, sort like soldier type of thing." Just okay, to like you back. have earned my respect, yeah, kind of thing. And I, Ash, that that scene really works with Ashley. She really likes Sam Elliott. I I struggle with Sam Elliott because of a comment he made. Um, 
around about like, gay cowboys like a year ago but it's more just like it's okay yeah i don't like the comment he made but i'm also just like i don't like the context of the comment that like cowboys are like are like this and like we play cowboys like that i'm like but you're an actor sam like you're not this sergeant <laughs> this I, army. Th- there was there was kind of a moment with like mel and him standing there and it it, it made me think on kind of our whole john wayne discussion and stuff about like you play tough guys, yes. but you're not a real tough not guy. Not a real tough you know? guy. And that's where, but... like, so when I see Sam Elliott now, unfortunately, because I did like him for a long time, because I, I think he's a perfect Thunderbolt Ross. He's, um, he plays as... I like him as that mysterious guy and, and Big Lebowski, you Sure, know? yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I also really like him in Parks and Rec. He plays a different type of Ron in Parks and Rec. as kind of an antithesis to Ron Swanson, and it's a really fun ongoing gag. Like this kind of hippie version. Yeah, hippie. Yeah. Like, like he he drives a, a vehicle that runs on vegetable oil. Like he is <laughs> yeah, he yeah. is pure hipster. And it's funny because Ron and him kind of like hit it off right off the bat because they're they're both anti-government. But but for different, for different reasons. reasons. Yeah, Ron's a libertarian it's... where he is like a full-on socialist communist. Like just <laughs> like, no, we got to work together. We got to let the people rule. Like what? Mm-hmm. No, don't tell me what to do. Anyways ongoing gag so i appreciate i like him but then this comment came and now when i watch him play tough guys or cowboys i'm like i'm just thinking like does he think he's like this guy like he's that tough because he's standing like no you're just an actor man like those are squibs blowing up around you anyways yeah i I don't want to belittle ashley's pick that's ashley's pick she loves sam elliott I this is perfectly affable Sam Elliott fair like I I'm not I he's, think he's playing against mustache in this it's kind of admirable you <laughs> it know is. it's it's like he's got oh, a great hey. mustache so it's it is a little sad to miss I miss that mustache often um yeah so that's Ashley's uh my pick oh, I had a, I had it down to two I'm intrigued by yours I don't think it's gonna be either of the two I have but um. So pinch hit here or no, I'm going to go with the one that's like, actually my gut it's Brian Pyro Adams. Okay. Yeah. Special. I I didn't read this name, but I assume I know what he did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just assume, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of special effects guys, but his name and he's got a picture and he's got the name Pyro. So I was like, this guy's clearly involved with the stuff. This is probably what inspired Danny McBride's character in Tropic Thunder. (laughs) So sure. This like the practical, like there's real giant explosions happening in this movie near real people, and I'm kind of like amazed by the effectiveness of it, type of thing. Like it's like not a f- digital special effects explosion. Yeah, there's, are... there's very fleeting digital. There's like some wonky looking helicopters, and then there's a scene where like some slow mo bombs fly by, and it's like mm. yes. But mostly you're seeing like practical real grit and grime explosions. and fire and smoke. Yeah, which I I've, I just appreciate that we're kind of getting that practical effects, and those explosions are massive and very well done. Um, yeah. No, so that mine mine goes to Brian Pyro Adams. Okay, I have a runner-up. It is Joseph Kilna McKenzie, uh, who did that song I mentioned, yes, the okay. Sergeant McKenzie, which I thought was interestingly used. I felt weird about just giving it to like a single musical thing. We kind of go music a lot, also. Um, sure. So I I did go with this kind of caveat loaded Randall Wallace choice. Wow. Because I 
I know we talked about how amateur and schlocky that that <laughs> sequence was, but it was sort of endearing to me. Okay. I I, I kind of liked that scene in a way that was like, wow, yeah, no one no one more sure-handed would do that. That's really interesting. <laughs> Uh, but he also kind of structured the story, you know, and yep. I, I did kind of like how once it's on, it's on for a long time. Yeah. Like once you get into the battle, like e- you've established these people well enough in the boot camp sequence and everything. I thought it was neat having the Barry Pepper character enter late mm-hmm. in the story and kind of like be the voice that's reflecting on the whole event. But he wasn't even there for all of it and stuff like it's kind of just an, an interesting thing. Um, and yeah, I, I just, just, I, I don't love the trajectory his career went into these even more religious areas. Sure. Like I'm probably not going to watch some of these, <laughs> uh, fair. maybe secretariat, maybe there's a chance that <laughs> okay. could happen. All right. It's a 7.2. Like people like it. You know, I don't hate horses. But... I don't know if that's true, but okay. Well, I don't hate, well, I, because, well, cause I was, uh, abetting people eating them. But that no, was no, my no. Fault. I was talking about War Horse. Like you hated that movie. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, I can't. We can't go on another. I didn't like this Spielberg right, movie. Right, right, right. Ta- I'll keep tangent, it back on track. So, yeah. Um, but no, I. I don't know. I guess there was there was something simple about it. Something that worked for me. I liked that. Like we're walking into this with our kind of World War II attitude, and then over the course of this, we're maybe losing some of that. Yep. Like that. Like that's kind of brushing off. And yeah, it kind of did have that Iwo Jima kind of a little bit of the other side. You just mm-hmm. you just get a little bit of it. There's a little bit of that parallelism is what I appreciated. I think the word that I was coming to was like dimension. Yeah. It just kind of like with the story about the wives at home with the opposite side a little bit. It just kind of takes a single battle and gives it a little bit of more dimension yeah. and stuff. It was kind of neat. Uh, so despite some wonky choices for I went for those caveats those are good caveats so I, I appreciate those caveats i i agree on all the all the things that you said so i appreciate that yeah yeah, yeah. like just just interesting because like you know you some guys don't make it for a long time you don't get to see a lot of their work or whatever he yeah. has only seven films but this one like had a little bit of something going on so sure yeah i kind of i kind of liked it so yeah Okay. Randall Wallace and Sam Elliott and Pyro. What what's his full name again? Brian Adams. Brian Adams. The singer. No, but okay. But close. Okay. Uh question time. Uh so th- th- alright. We 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 like combining our interests. We don't really like the Oscars here. We don't really love award season. Yeah, but yet, you know? but both of us still get sucked into the. I I'm saying we because I'm including you. I love awards, <laughs> uh, but I watch it every year. I I like it, but I don't want to make this an Oscar conversation when we did that once and it got it got really grouchy. Sure. So instead, we're we're kind of like having a little powwow of like these are the movies we liked like here's here's our picks for what what we think should. Well, well, yeah like it it could have been nominated it could not have been nominated it's not necessarily just snubs sure. it's just kind of looking back at 2022 what are some bangers that you want to give shout outs to gotcha. kind of the thing so it's a little a little 2022 award worthy movies yeah like what comes to mind yeah uh I, I, I like everybody kind of just I do want to see everything everywhere all at once win everything 
I I don't what else is yeah I didn't see Banshees so I can't speak to that. There's um, there's a few categories I think. But yeah, I, it, it's the one I liked a lot. I saw it and liked it a lot. So I would be f- totally fine if Everything Everywhere All at Once won. I didn't uh, have it hyped up a lot and then go see it and be all mad at it, which I've seen people doing. Sure. Because uh, they you know you missed the you missed the party. You sh- you should have watched. Temple of Doom when you were like seven and then wait th- several decades and go, wow, Key High Kwan's in a movie and just go watch it and have a great time. Oh, I think most people are on the, are on the Key High Kwan. Key High Kwan has to win. Like that was, that, He's on. on there. I think most people are on their train. I would love to see Michelle Yao uh, win. Um, I, I could, I would understand if, uh, if Blanchett. Tar wins. Yeah. Kate Blanchett it's, it's was such like, a mammoth, like this it's, is it's a, a character huge that, study. Yeah, movie. and she carries yeah. it on her back and does a really good job. I, I, um, but she's already got several trophies in her in her like living room or whatever. So well, I just it would think it the love kind of thing. Narratively speaking, I think it would be a good <laughs> like okay. Only only getting into Oscars a little tiny bit, just the tiniest, but nothing negative. I think it'd be good for them, narratively speaking, if they do give most of their nominations for this movie to them. Given, like, recent years' discussions around diversity, having people's voices heard, like, like not just... Like, you know this Anthony, Andrea Riceborough mess that's going on with, like, she got nominated for Best Actress, but everyone's like, how did this happen? And it might have happened through some, like, not rule like academy rule following I, I saw there was kind of investigation and stuff this happens occasionally yeah. with like connections get you a nomination yeah rather exactly than and so caring. people like being like oh so people using old hollywood tricks to get like rather than being like the actual best of the year type of thing sure. um i think it'd be good narratively speaking for the oscars if they just swept like in everything that they got nominated for now obviously that can't happen because jamie lee and stephanie are both uh nominated nominated for supporting, supporting. Yeah. Um, so they won't get 11 because that's what they're nominated for. Uh, but I think it'd be great if they swept. I think I think that would be a good narrative thing for the Oscars. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think that would be smart for that to happen. I'm trying to think who the other like big juggernaut is. Like So what, in what's... director, Spielberg's yeah. a front runner in director right now. Okay. With the, with the Daniels. The Daniels and, and Spielberg are kind of like everyone's saying like it's probably going to go to one of the two of them. Huh, okay. Um I think technical stuff, everything everywhere at once will probably win some and lose some. There's some people saying in editing it might not even win, which I thought was kind of crazy because it's like that movie's slick. I mean it, it manages to be very creative on a low budget kind of thing, mm-hmm. relatively speaking, yeah. with just the multiple dimensions and stuff. Uh Oh, uh, but you know. so a couple of yeah. couple of small ones. Uh, well, not small ones. I think Brendan Fraser was was my favorite actor of this last year. Um, I though the whale is a movie I loved a lot. It's not my favorite movie of the year, but I don't think there's one male performance I saw that like sucked me in so emotionally into a character than Brendan's performance. Uh, another great performance this year was Mia Goth in Pearl. Yeah, I was seeing with the Reesboro thing, people were saying that was the snub because it's like, wait a minute, like this person's right here. People love this movie. Why isn't it here? Well, and she's thing, but... a marvel in it. Like, yeah, it's like, yes, it's a horror prequel, whatever type of thing you want to say about it. 
but she is a marvel. Like it's it's a tour de force of a performance that I kind of like still think about regularly. So yeah, yeah. Anyways, those are I, those are the ones that came to the top of my head. I might come up with more as I hear your suggestions too. Well, I I know like uh, to some extent genre stuff. Like th- there was some nominations this year. They're just like hey. You know what? We loved it when Tom Cruise threw that airplane. Best screenplay, baby. It's like, yeah. I get a sure. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, they were trying to give, I think that's again the narrative piece of the Oscars, trying to give to like what was a really big movie this year for Big people. movies that people enjoyed watching. And like, so it was like, what can we well give Top hat. Gun? We can't give Best Director. We can't give Best Acting. So we can give <laughs> Best Screenplay. Yeah, we like it is so thoroughly dead center in Tom Cruise's comfort zone yeah. that like what is the challenge here? Like yeah. he, he loves doing all of this stuff. He's yeah. he's smiling to Tom Cruise like no, come on. That's not Oscar. No, exactly. Like, but yeah. Uh but okay. So speaking to genre stuff, I actually I know it would never happen, but I thought Barbarian was a really good screenplay. Oh, like yeah. I thought that was a really good it's it's a vicious little movie like it's not a thing they would like at all but i thought like you know whatever like the saturn awards whoever likes that stuff they should give look at that oh for sure for some i was even just i was just talking about this movie today because i had a student who saw skinnamarink have you heard of this one no i don't think skinnamarink is like the new horror small budget like sensation that's happening right now okay Okay. Um, I didn't love it. There's a lot of people that love it and a lot of people that kind of don't love it. I kind of equate it to the Blur Witch Project, not in like theme or anything like that, but in like if you're on board with what this low budget thing is trying to do and it works for you, then it works. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I saw Blur Witch. I didn't think it was scary, but I didn't have yeah. it. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, I... To, I, maybe I need to watch it again alone in a horrible state. I don't know. Like, I, don't, what maybe I, mean. I, I think, need to help it a little bit. I think there's a but bit of all this... the talk I heard about, like, oh my god, that ending though, right? Like with the standing in the corner. It's like I don't understand why that would be terrifying yeah. though. Like I just don't. Like, I think you had to get into the zeitgeist. Like I didn't grow up being scared of witches or something. I don't know. So like, with Skinnerink, it just kind of like it's the whole movie is all about horror anticipation so it's a lot of tension i will i will give it though i one of the like best group experiences with this movie wreck or whatever like uh this this uh zombie movie i guess kind of set in one building the spanish original or whatever right uh what was that called anyway it might have been wreck it is wreck seeing that with a crowd full of people at like cuff or whatever it was like this is awesome because like i'm not necessarily freaking out at this person moving in the hallway but somebody in this crowd just lost their mind. Yeah. And that's, that's cool. Fairness, like there's a tension horror, in the room, right? All horror movies are better in a crowd because something might not work for you. It works I just, for somebody. I just could see it like 1999, you're in a theater watching Blair Witch. That could have been awesome. Also, like, that it might have been, been the, year, the case. It would have been the time when there wasn't like spoilers. People didn't know what it was about. It had a the internet wasn't as pro- – yeah, it would have been like this might be real. Like this might That's be what I mean. Like people actually were like there's, – it's not it, – there's no famous people in it. Like, it's just, like, is this just a found footage movie? Like, a real found footage thing? Yeah, it, it has a great kind of conceit of just, like, yeah, we just found this tape. I don't know. Yeah. We put it out. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, like. It, it was genius for its time. So, Skin Rink is all about tension building, but nothing actually ever happens because it's low budget. Okay. And so, it just doesn't work for me. It works for a lot of people. I was talking today about Barbarian, 
Because for me, horror works best when you relieve tension just as much as you put it on. And Barbarian is one of the best examples of this in recent years of just when to relieve tension while adding it on. Because you're sitting there for this first like 30, 40 minutes of this movie in pure, utter tension. And then something happens that just completely gut checks you in the most delightful way that makes it such a great movie in a totally different way but yet like helps the tension as you return to the original stuff, but in a different way again, because you have this new aspect to the movie. I, and I, I was kind of half joking, half not joking with Brittany. I'm just like, I thought Justin Long was really good yes. at like balancing this, like, well, I, I kind of like Justin Long as a person. So I kind of am trying think, to be I on think, board with this. And they guy. did that purposely. Like, I think they cast yeah. a likable dude. So we could sit there as like, oh no, he might actually be a horrible person. (laughs) And then as it goes on, it kind of like shows different shades of things. But man, I loved his dialogue when he first discovers the basement and is measuring it. Oh my goodness. Where he's just like, he's cutting the like best nervous laughter I've had in a while of just like, what is he doing? And it's like, oh, this is great. There's extra square feet right here. Well, it's it's a genius, like tension building scene because. We just had like the most pure version of tension building when she discovers this extra space and us as the audience member being like, wait, what? What is going on down there? But we don't really get the full story with her, but then he comes back in and we as the audience know he should be nervous, but he's so delightfully excited about this extra square footage. Oh man, this is going to raise the property That you're laughing, but at the same time you're terrified because you know something bad is going to happen to him too. Or the most blatant red flags, like, in the world, and he's just kind of not seeing them or feeling them cause because he's, he's not in that Because he is a terrible person. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, Anyways, yes. genuinely really into that movie. So, Zach, uh, Zach Kriegler should be getting a nomination and something. Maybe. Yeah. Like, for, certainly for something at somebody's yeah. award show. Yeah. I don't think it fits the whole thing sure. with the big yeah. ones, but, yeah. No. And... I, okay, it was a great date night movie for me and Brittany. It's this kind of like R-rated fable, like 3,000 Years of Longing, the George Miller, yeah. like, genie movie. Yes. Like, just you're just hanging out with, like, two performers we like for a, a movie. Yeah. You know, it's like Tilda and Idris just kind of having this, this odd story. And it's, like, just cheeky enough, just a little edgy enough to be like, Oh yeah, like, but you don't get Bible, you don't get bedtime stories as a, as an adult, really. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So it was kind of it was a real cozy movie. I liked. Sure. It. Um, um, another yeah. big one for me this year uh, was, and I'll sing the, sing its praises of this movie forever. Uh, is Marcel the Shell with shoes on? Um, yeah, I saw it got nominated for best, animated. Yeah, best animated. I don't think it's I kind of scratched my head because I thought it had a lot of live action in it. It does. I maybe... I find it to be an odd choice, but I think it's them trying to make it work because they know trying it to find should. a home for it or something. Yeah, yeah. Because um, okay. it's not big enough to be in the even in the top ten of the best picture. Like rigor. I, I saw critics loved it. Like my my only concern was like this might like this could hit great. This could hit like way too precious for me, and I won't I won't get into the vibe. Oh yeah, I, I I I am not searching for you either. If this is gonna work, I, it, yeah. it fit perfectly for me because I I did find it to be precious, but also sweet and nice and funny, and just also like really endearing. Like I appreciated the message of the movie deeply. Um, okay. 
And I know that, I, but I know that like Pinocchio is going to win because like Guillermo has that like that kind of like that, that clout, clout with the Oscars and like yeah. stop motion animations like slowly becoming a less common art form, and people loved it. Uh, so I think I think it'll win. But Marcel was like, it's the one that stole my heart this year, type of thing. So it was it was my yeah, it would be high on my. Um, one that I, I hope does well at the Junos, the Canadian Film Awards that I never watch, is Cronenberg's uh, Crimes of the Future, okay. uh, which I just it, – it is such a fan, like, smorgasbord of, like, Cronenbergisms. Yes. Like, it's just like, hey, there's a little bit of this thing I did, a little bit of this thing I did. I'm going to make a new stew out of this stuff. And I, I just was like, this is perfect. Like, this is exactly what I wanted this to be. <laughs> It's weird and strange in ways that I, I wouldn't anticipate despite having seen all the prerequisite films, you know, yeah. like he, he was still able to surprise and and delight in his own weird, twisted way. So I still have really a... messed up. But, you know, <laughs> in a way that was like, oh, perfect. That guy's still so messed up. This is great. Well, I was worried he lost it like he lost the messed up edness by making those crime films with Vigo. Sure. But it's like, no, I'm going to bring Vigo into my world here. Yeah like get some naked lunch going on and yeah it's it's something um i still haven't watched it I, I still plan on it but it's one of those like his his version of horror sits so deeply wrong in my body that i yeah. like i can't just like it's not a movie i can whimsically put on i have to be in a very specific mood i have to feel physically healthy that day because i will feel queasy if i'm already like a little on the edge of like i have a sour stomach or something he'll make me feel like gross mm-hmm. um I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. So I don't know where this would fit. And you and I, have, we've talked about this before because we saw this movie in, in theaters. But there's something about the musical, the music editing of Elvis that still like takes over my brain sometimes. Because uh-huh. I could sit back and say like, yeah, no, Austin Butler shouldn't be nominated. Like Tom Hanks shouldn't be nominated. The movie's like just kind of okay biopic. But there's something happening with this editing and the music editing that I'm just like, I get mesmerized for giant chunks of these mo- of this movie. Well, it's, maybe it's almost like synesthesia or something, right? Something like where, it, yeah. So I'm just like, there's probably should be an award given. to I, like, I was a little appalled at the Austin Butler Best Actor nomination, yeah. but I didn't want to be mean because I know you like that movie more than I did. No, no, but... no, no, no. I don't like. I don't like. I don't think he should be nominated because I think he's kind of playing a caricature, like similar to Tom Hanks is playing a caricature, but he's also nominated. Um, no, no, he wasn't, he wasn't, for he supporting. wasn't nominated. Okay. No, I looked for him though. Cause I like, he might be nominated for a Razzie. <laughs> he is nominated but... for Razzie, but I think, wasn't he nominated for golden globe, but there's more categories oh, maybe because golden it's a comedy globe. slash musical. Yeah. They kind of have more category for that. Anyways, so that could have happened. Yeah, he's definitely yeah. nominated for a Razzie. And so is Austin Butler. Um, it's just my concern right now. Generally is Austin and, Brendan are the two front runners because Austin's won a bunch of prerequisite Oscars. Like, oh, weird. Like, he okay. won the Golden Globe, uh, but like, um, Brendan Fraser won the BAFTA. SAGs haven't happened oh. yet, but yeah, um, yeah. Okay. So it's like, oh man, this could. Like, no, no fault to this young man for no. for doing it. Like, it, it's just, it's a, it's I a, don't, I don't quite understand it. It, it it's. Yeah, it's a Baz Luhrmann it's serviceable, movie. Like it, it's fine, but yeah, it's, it doesn't... A, it's it's a Baz Luhrmann movie. But there's something like you said, like that it just entices me in a way that like 
a song I, I on my pod on one of my playlists on Spotify came up and it was one of the Elvis remix songs from that movie and it was immediately yeah. sucked back in of like oh yeah I really did like that movie whereas like in my mind for months now I'm like did I like that movie why did I see it so many times in theaters and then I hear the music and I'm like oh yeah no this is I did like that movie so and part of me I guess is always like I I didn't see Pig last year but like I keep getting this this hope that like oh no cage is back like people love him oh, he again. is back and i know but like unbearable weight i thought like maybe something like no. maybe you could nominate him <laughs> yeah but, it didn't but do, they didn't do that it didn't do it it didn't even make a bit big of a splash uh i think it was just poorly marketed like i honestly think that if a bigger studio had made unbearable weight it would have done better but it's lionsgate and lionsgate kind of plays this game of like they have two big properties which is hungry games and john wick and the rest of it, they don't know what to do with, so they just like release it, and then nobody goes and sees it. Yeah. So. And like Pedro is really fun in that movie. Like, and also that movie ill-timed. Things. If you put out that movie in April of this year, with Pedro like having Last of Us, and, having his big surge right now, like yeah. it would be like, hey, great. And if you like, pit, yeah, position you'd have... him as like the star, like, which you easily could because they share the screen equally, uh, that might have been a different, totally different scenario. Yeah. So. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I would say, like, for me, horror movies were big last year. I had a lot of really good horror movies that come, came out. Like, X and Pearl were both really good. Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was really good. Um, oh, I, I don't want to be dismissive to... Like, I didn't love The Monster. Okay. But Nope had something going on that I thought might capture attention oh. in this space, you know? <laughs> You got me so confused by like I was like, what movie came out called last year? The, called the monster, the monster. But then nope. Yeah, yes. the monster in Nope, the the yes. yeah, peel yeah. film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, some people were out crying. It's like, how do you not nominate that for cinematography? And I almost agree. Like yeah. it, it's a pretty like spectacular looking at times. Oh, it's sure. just what yeah. it's looking at wasn't doing it for me. Yeah. Uh, but and honestly, Nathan, we talked yeah. about this. It wasn't doing it for me, but I still really liked it. Because I was surprised by how effective those sitcom sequences were. Like, so deeply Yeah, effective. I, I kind of liked where its head was at. I wish it clicked more with me. Because sure. there was, like, craft on display. Like, I could have even seen it get a screenplay there, too. But it's too genre. You know, it's yeah. too space aliens or whatever. Which is too bad. Uh, I think I think you would think... Well, Again, the that, Saturn Awards, if there's, again, like, a best blood house. If everything everywhere all at once wins something along these lines that is very genre-y like it's it's only like it's using genre to tell a pretty dramatic good story about a mother and a daughter's relationship um but it's kind of like pop sci-fi yeah very much so yeah um so i'm hoping i always hope that the oscars kind of figure out like something because some of our greatest directors all work within genre films so it's like why can't other institutions realize this at some point uh, maybe i mean avatar 2 is nominated for something oh man what what were the two like i thought it's picture which was uh yeah yeah and special effects that, okay which sure they spent so much money like yeah it's gonna win <laughs> it's gonna win visual effects mainly because it's like they like i think everybody else combined is still a fraction of what they paid like the budget to yeah. realize that sure yeah Ugh, but okay um, I, guess, I guess that's all I have. I was kind of trying to see if there's any other new stuff, but there was a lot of kind of middle of the road things for me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. 
that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to provide us with a question for a future show, email ryan at okview.ca or nathan at okview.ca. Or you can reach out to us on Instagram, co-host, and hive, OKVO Podcast. Next week, we take a look at my wife Brittany's fourth film, Beetlejuice, directed by Tim Burton and written by the late, great Michael McDowell and Warren Skarin, who also late and kind of great. He co-wrote Batman. Uh, until then, I'm Nathan. And I'm Ryan. Have a great week. Thank <laughs> you.